It's good to see you all. If you uh, have a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Begin reading at verse 18. Uh, This morning I want to speak to you. We have been talking uh, on and off about uh, the Lord summoning uh, his people and his servants, particularly Moses. And this morning we want to look at answering uh, the Lord's summons, how that went about. Uh, So let's uh, look at the passage and we can pray and say a few things. Uh, Please hear God's word, Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, The Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, or relative of blood. So he let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we thank you for uh, the scripture and for how it um, is alive and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and pierces dividing in two, soul and spirit, and the joints and the marrow. 
and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Father, by your word, teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, make us more like Jesus. We ask this for your glory. Please help me and make your appeal through me to the hearts of your people that we would leave refreshed because of Jesus. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, This morning I want to speak to you about answering uh, the Lord's summons. And um, in this uh, passage that was read, um, the goal it can be seen in verse 31, is that, uh, that you, God's people, and through you, other people, would believe. They would believe in the Lord. And uh, they would recognize that God in Christ has seen our suffering our enslavement to sin, our harassment by the devil. And he has seen our affliction, and he has visited us, because he has. Jesus has come and visited us, and that should lead us to bow and worship him. Perhaps the goal of every passage is to worship but it's explicitly stated as such here that the end result of Moses answering uh, the summons of the Lord was that the people would believe the message of the gospel and that they would bow to the sovereignty of the Lord and they would worship Him. They would bless His holy name. And that has to be the goal in our lives as well. And it has to be the goal that we pursue in life, that through us, God would work in such a way that other people, when they encounter us, would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, bow to His Lordship, and bless His holy name. So what keeps you from answering the call, answering the summons? Is it fear? Fear of people, perhaps. Fear for your life, what will happen to you. Or maybe it's personal faithlessness, failure to be consecrated. Or maybe it's lack of encouragement and exhortation, failure to fellowship with God's people and have them stir you into service for the King. I want to talk about those three things that God in Christ summons you to fearlessness. God in Christ summons you to faithfulness. God in Christ summons you to fellowship. Let's look at that in the first section there in chapter 4, beginning in verse 18 uh, through verse 23. We see that after uh, Moses had encountered the Lord and had the Lord affirm to him that, that Moses, I'm going to be with you, and then affirmed and, and revealed his, his being, who he was, 
who is the Lord? He is the I am. He's the God who will be there, present with his people. He's the God who will be whatever his people need him to be. So the promises of God and the purposes of God through his people get accomplished. That's who he is. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The God who sends Moses with signs and wonders to authenticate who he is. The God who is with Moses' mouth the God who has sent him support, as it were, from the sanctuary in the person of Aaron, Moses, with all of that freight, goes to his father-in-law and says, "I I need to leave, I need to go back to Egypt, check on the welfare of my brothers. You've got that same kind of freight in your life that that you know who who God is through Christ. You know what Jesus has done. You know He is with you till the end of the age. You know He will never leave or forsake you. And it's with that freight, with that presence of God, with that purpose of God that you move out into the church and into the world knowing who is with you, knowing that he's, He's got you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Not one single hair on your head can be touched because Jesus is with you. And uh, so he goes back. And it's a fearful thing sometimes to leave family and to leave our comfort zone because that's what Moses was doing. He was leaving his comfort zone. He was leaving a quiet life as a shepherd. What about you? What's your comfort zone? Where are you comfortable and God is maybe maybe calling you out from your comfort zone, calling you to leave the the comfort of the predictable and the, the ordinary and the normative, and he's calling you to leave your comfort, to see about the welfare of his people and others who are not his people. He's calling you to leave your comfort zone. Not only that, but God uh, reassures him that all the people who were looking to kill Moses are dead. And sometimes that's what's fearful for us as well. We're afraid for our lives. And that's why we, we hesitate to answer the summons of the Lord. Because what's going to happen to us if we do? We're afraid. The Bible says God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but a a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of literally a mind controlled by the Word of God. That's what God has given you. He's given you a spirit of adoption. You're His child. You're His son. You're His daughter. He'll never turn away from you. Jesus said it like this, that uh, those whom he has, he has bought, those whom He has called, those whom He has been given, are in His hand, and no one can pluck you out of Jesus' hand. His Father who gave you to Him is greater than all, and nobody can pluck you out of the Father's hand. So He's got this, and He's got you. There's no reason to be afraid. No reason to fear the Lord is your light, your salvation. Finish the verse. Whom 
shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of your life. Of whom shall you be afraid? So Moses was assured by God that the Lord, the Lord had him so he could answer this summons. Not only that, but uh, it says that Moses, he took his family. Uh, at least part of the way, he took his family. He took his wife, his sons, and uh, got on a donkey and head out for Egypt. Sometimes that's the fear. What will happen to my family if I answer the summons? It'll be all right if it was just me, but what about my family? Sometimes that's what, what stops us from answering the summons. And God loves your family more than you do. God loves your children more than you do. God loves your spouse more than you do. Yes, he does. You didn't die for him, but he did. So God's got your family. There's no reason to be afraid of that either. And so this call to answer the summons of God in Christ um, is a call to be fearless. And it's, it's scary to be fearless, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's scary to be fearless. It sounds like an oxymoron, but it's true. We're often afraid to be fearless. But um, we need faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because God has already proven himself. He's already got a reputation. He's already got a resume. He's already shown himself faithful. So it's actually, it actually makes less sense to distrust God than to trust God. It actually makes more sense to take a risk with God than not to. Because God has always proven himself. He's never failed. Um, Jesus said it like this, uh, Therefore seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, everything you need, will be added unto you. Um, and Moses also um, had to think back on his encounter with the Lord and realize that God was with him and we and have to do the same, you have to do the same. Uh, we read a part of this passage last week. I want to read it again because it, it fits with this particular subject matter. In Isaiah chapter 50, uh, we find in verse 7 and 8, but the Lord, God, helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know I shall, that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. That's true of you. That was true of Jesus Christ. It's in Christ true of you as well. We saw last week in Romans 8 that passage that says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Really, no one can be against you. That's the answer that's demanded 
from that context. No one can separate you from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing greater in this world than the love of God. And you can never be separated from it, no matter what happens. The best thing possible that could ever happen to you has happened to you. And it can never, ever be compromised. And never be taken from you. Those promises have to resonate with you. They have to fill your heart. You've got to preach them to yourself daily until you've got a pep in your step, until you've got steel in the backbone of your faith. And you can broaden your shoulders and say, I know my Father loves me, and nobody and nothing can take that from me. It can't be compromised. what Moses knew. That's what you have to know in order to answer the summons fearlessly. Um, He took the staff of God with him. Now, we've learned some things up until this point about the staff of God. We learned that Moses was to take it to do signs. And the signs were to call people to faith. And the staff was also um, uh, specifically given to Moses to do the plagues. And as you may know, the plagues were a war, a divine war against the false gods of Egypt. That's what they were. According, if you read chapter 12, uh, God administered judgments on all the gods of Egypt. And that's what the staff stood for and pointed to. Um, You also have a staff, a New Testament staff. Uh, It's called the cross, the cross of Jesus. Because it was through the cross, it was through Jesus' cross that God administered judgment on the God of this world. Uh, He he said in in, uh, John chapter 12 that, um, uh, Father, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Save me from this hour? Uh, No, but for this very hour I came. Glorify your name. And um, God answered, answered him, and then Jesus said, Uh, he said this about his crucifixion. Um, In chapter 12, I'm sure you're familiar with the passage. If I can get myself there. Sometimes this thin paper is hard to turn, you know. Um, They have to... You can lick your fingers, but I don't like to do that. Um, Germaphobe, but... But Jesus said, listen to this, in verse 31 of chapter 12, he said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And he's referring to his cross. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. 
And when Jesus died on the cross, he, he triumphed over Satan. He triumphed over his kingdom, so to speak. And you see how uh, in this passage, um, it's, it's foreshadowed that, that, that Pharaoh took a place, the place of God. And whenever someone who's not God takes the place of God, they, they come against God as Satan. And, and, and Moses was sent there with the staff of God to execute judgment on the satanic work that was operating in Egypt through Pharaoh and through the false deities that they worshipped. And when you go, when you answer this call, you don't ever dare answer the call without taking the cross of Jesus with you. That is the, that is the, the power of the gospel the power of the Lord himself uh, uh, to defeat Satan in the life of another person. Uh, Satan has taken people captive to do his will. He has enslaved people to do his will through sin. And, and there, you know, people, before we were saved, we love sin. We like sin. We, 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 you know, it's not so much we, we struggled against sin, we struggled in order to sin. And, uh, but when the gospel comes and when the announcement of the king, uh, when the announcement of the cross, the cross of Jesus is proclaimed through you, uh, the Bible says that the spirit of God accompanies that word of the gospel and creates faith in the heart of those whom he chooses. And, um, and so we go, we answer this call fearlessly because we go with the cross of Jesus Christ. The perfect love of God. The perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And you will not be punished, you who believe in Jesus. But you are partners with uh, the King, with the Lord. And so, um, as, as Paul said in, in one place in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, he said that the weapons of our warfare are mighty. Uh, they're not of the flesh. They're not uh, according to the flesh. They're strong. They come with divine power. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, um, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And that's, that's the, the power of God. The power of the weapon is the gospel. Uh, the, the Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God, the gift of perfect righteousness, uh, the, the, the righteousness, the righteous way that the righteous God declares unrighteous people righteous. That message is declared in the gospel. The righteous God declaring unrighteous people to be righteous through the gift of righteousness given to them. And so there's no reason to fear. And then you have uh, one other reason uh, that sometimes uh, we fear, uh, found in verse 21, Moses was to go back and confront Pharaoh, uh, but God clearly said to Moses, I am going to harden 
Pharaoh's heart, and he will not let the people go. Now, when we read this passage, um, it reminds me of something. You know, there was a story told, I don't know if you can find it, but um, story told that when Truman was president, he would line, people would line up to shake his hand. And he, it dawned on him that people were not listening to him when he said good morning. They just kept right on just smiling and walking. And so he thought he'd play a game with them. And so he would shake people's hand and he would say, I killed my mother-in-law this morning. And people would say, good morning, how are you? I killed my mother-in-law this morning. And they just, good morning, how are you? And then as he kept doing that, one gentleman leaned in and said, I'm sure she had it coming, sir. So you, you, but you, but you take a story like that and you look at a passage like this and you read it and you say, well, God's going to harden his heart. And, and you, sometimes in your sin, you say, well, that's not fair. How could God do something like that? How could God harden Pharaoh's heart? Um, but you have to understand and you have to affirm God is light. There is no darkness in God. God is good and he's upright. There's no wickedness in God. It is impossible for God to sin. He cannot fail. He cannot make mistakes. So Pharaoh must have had to come in. He must have deserved it in God's mind. And so when you think about the history of, of Egypt and, and how, how this went down, you have to ask yourself, who is it that God hardens? And uh, in Romans 1, if you read that passage in verses 18 through 22, you find that God hardens those who are ungodly and unrighteous and who suppress or hold down the truth in unrighteousness. That, there is, that God has plainly made himself known to people. He has plainly done that through what is created. But people don't want to hear it. They'd rather push it down actively. They want to suppress it. And you look at this Pharaoh. He had a history. This story begins with Joseph. With a Pharaoh, a king raised up who doesn't know Joseph. And it's, listen to this, it's not that he didn't know Joseph. He refused to acknowledge Joseph. That's what the verse means. He was pressing down the knowledge about Joseph and Joseph's God, that Egypt owed their existence to the God of Joseph. And they suppressed it. They pushed it down. They didn't want to hear it. So God gave them up to the lust of their flesh. Pharaoh um, suppressed the truth about the Lord and failed to honor him, failed to give thanks, and so God gave him up. Pharaoh exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped himself, and so God gave him up. And Pharaoh refused to acknowledge God. He didn't seem fit to keep God in his knowledge, and so God gave him up. And so when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, he had it coming because he had known about the God of the Bible, but he suppressed it. He held it down. So God says, I'm going to harden him in that sin. I'm going to harden him. God is able to harden whom he will and have mercy where he wants. 
And so God's hardening always works in concert with our deserving that, or the ones who are hardened deserving that. Um, Because God's purpose in this was to proclaim his own name and to demonstrate his power through the world. And so Moses could have been afraid of answering the call because his call would be rejected. And sometimes that's the reason why we fear to answer the summons of God because we think, well, we'll be rejected. They won't listen to us. And and it's not in your hands whether they listen or don't listen. We're called to faithfulness. We're called to go and tell the story about Christ and leave the results up to God. The results are in God's hand. We plant the seed. We water. God is the one who gives the increase and makes things grow. It's not our job. I don't know anybody here who can grow grass just by thinking about it. Only God can make things grow. Um, So no fear for that reason. And and, and Moses is armed with a particular message as he tells Pharaoh. He says, thus you shall say, the Lord Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And that's, that's another reason why not to be afraid, because there is a father, according to this passage. There is a father who wants his sons and daughters. There is a father who wants his children to be with him. And he calls them out of slavery, calls them out of bondage, and, and comes to come to him to serve him. And so, so answering the summons is a matter of answering a calling from God to call people to an identity. Uh, Answering the summons is affirming an identity in people. That you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And Moses was sent there with a message that there's a father who's looking for his son to come and serve him. That has to be what motivates and stirs you up is that there's a Father in heaven who has sent His one and only Son to die so that many more sons might exist. Many more daughters, many more children of God might exist. And because of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the call to sonship and the call to daughtership, I know that's not a word, but you understand what I'm saying. That, that calling is there and, and God is a father and wants to use you to call his sons and his daughters to serve. It begins in the household of faith and then it goes outside of the household into the world. And that's why we are fearless with respect to the calling because there's a father waiting. Just like with the prodigal son, there's a father waiting, looking for sons to come back home looking for daughters who've gone off and squandered themselves to come back home. And God has given that job to his people, to summon his people, to experience the bounty of God's fathership and the service he calls us to. And, and, and God is, tells Moses that he's to tell Pharaoh, if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. It's a message of judgment. It's a message of judgment that God gives uh, Moses as well. That what slavery does, and why would God kill? Because slavery robs people. 
Slavery robs a person's identity. Slavery robs a person's calling. Slavery robs a person's life. You know, oftentimes people say, well, this is the life. I've got this, I've got that. It's only the life. You only experience life when you experience sonship. And you experience service in response to God's service in Christ towards you. That's life. Life is knowing that God is my Father, knowing that I'm His Son, knowing that He's called me to serve in light of what Jesus has done. That's life. And anything that, that, that stops that process from happening deserves death. And so God is serious about this. He's serious about people uh, owning the identity of sons and owning the identity of daughters and serving Him uh, in response to His visiting them and coming to redeem them by the blood of the Lamb. God calls us to fearlessly go for the Father whose name is love. But in order to answer without fear, uh, we must be faithful. You must be faithful. God in Christ summons you to faithfulness. We see this in verses 24 through 26. You know, it's interesting as you read this passage, God talk, talks to Moses about um, killing the firstborn son of, of Pharaoh if he refuses to repent. And then at a lodging place, Moses and Zipporah and the family stop to, to take a refresher. And, um, and then the Lord seeks to kill. <laughs> it's like, what's going on, Lord? I mean, did you, did you get confused? It's supposed to be Pharaoh's son, right? What are you doing? Um, folks, as you know, God never gets confused. God never makes mistakes. Um, God never has to say, oh, oh, my fault, my mistake. I didn't mean to say that. You will never find God saying, I didn't mean to do that. That was my fault. God never needs to apologize. He never needs to ask for forgiveness. Um, but the Lord who calls Israel out, um, He calls Israel, His firstborn son, to serve Him. And, and Moses here, in this lodging place, it's revealed that his son is not circumcised. And that Moses, who is about to go to Egypt and call Israel to consecrate themselves and to devote themselves and to identify themselves with the Lord, their God, and to identify themselves with the calling He has given to them, Moses' own house is not right. He's not serving God in his own house. He's not faithful with his own family. His own children are not identified with the king. They're not identified with the Lord. And so God comes after him. And there's debate about whether God was coming to kill Moses or God was coming to kill Moses' son. There's probably very strong arguments that he was coming to kill Moses' son. Up until this point in, in Genesis 17, it was the one who was not circumcised who was in danger of being cut off. Um, and so Moses, God is after him uh, because, because he didn't circumcise his son. And what do you do with that? Well, well, in the Old Testament, circumcision was the initiation 
into discipleship. It was the initiation into following God. It was the initiation of being identified with who uh, the Lord is and what the Lord was about. And so by Moses bringing his child down there uncircumcised, he was in danger, Gershom was in danger of, of, of receiving the same death that Pharaoh's son was about to get. Because back then you couldn't take the Passover unless you were circumcised. That was the initiation. And so by him going down there as the leader of the group, and his own family is not right. And so that, that comes back to us with respect to answering the summons of the Lord. How are things in your own house? How are things in your own personal life and your own personal walk with the Lord? How is your leadership of your own family in the things of God? Because it's hard to be fearless without being faithful. That's true enough. Um, Moses was called to that. This is um, somehow, somehow when we look at this passage and you see that this is uh, in some way it corresponds to baptism for believers. It's not as if God's coming after kids to kill them, but the point is that baptism is the initiation into discipleship in the Christian life. And uh, when... For example, when our children misbehave, which hardly ever happens, but uh, you're right. If you believe that, I've got some beachfront property to sell you in Montana. Um, but when they misbehave, we bring that right back to them. You were baptized. You've got the name of the Lord on you. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and when Jesus said, go make disciples of nations, baptizing them, there's some hint there of the initiation because everybody, from a New Testament perspective, everybody who was a disciple wasn't a believer. You can read John 6 about that. Many disciples left Jesus and stopped walking with him because he said some hard things and they weren't able to receive it. But they were disciples. They were students. And so, so there's some kind of initiation, the same thing in the Christian life. You see there how baptism is, is the initiation. It's, it's the way in the way into discipleship, and it's, it's kind of the foundation of why are you training your children this way? Because they've got a name on them, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, Israel was called Israel because God called them Israel because in circumcision as well as in baptism, God has made a promise in that sign that I'm going to be God to you and I'm going to be God to your children. That's God's promise. And so because God made a promise, God gave a sign, God gave a seal. In humble reliance and faith, we put the seal on the children and say it's given to them because God made a promise to them and as well as to believers. And so, so Moses had failed. And so here again, you know, Moses has really got a lot, to, he's got a lot, he owes a lot to women, doesn't he? Shifra and Pua, his mother, his sister, Pharaoh's daughter, all these women worked to save him. And now here's another woman coming, Zipporah. She saves the day. She took, she's the one who took the flint and cut off the son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood, a, word that, a phrase that probably means a relative through bloodshed. 
which means circumcision. It says that that's what she was referring to, circumcision. And she was the one who, who, le who, who led the leader to say, you need to get your house in order. If you're going to go down there and lead these people, you need to get your house in order. It's the same with us, same with me, same with you. The house needs to be in order if we expect to faithfully lead uh, others to identify with the king. And last, we have here, uh, God, God in Christ summons us to fellowship. Moses was on his way, and the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness. God has people to fellowship with you. Fellowship literally means to share. It literally means to share what God has given to you. Uh, whether it's resources, whether it's money, whether it's gifts, whether it's talents, it means to share. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses, and Moses, just having seen salvation in his own family, when it says that Zipporah touched the feet with the blood, it's the same word used to touch the lentil and the doorpost with the blood of the lamb. It's a foreshadowing of the salvation that's going to take place. Moses just experienced the gospel firsthand in his own house, and so he's excited to meet Aaron and tell him all that God said and all that God promised to do. And that same sort of, of um, excitement should arrest us and captivate us. That God has, has saved you, given you a gospel, and called you into fellowship with his people. He hasn't sent you out alone. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Some of you will get that tonight. But the point is, we're called into fellowship with God's people. Moses told Aaron the words of the Lord, which he sent him to speak, and showed him the signs which he commanded him to do. And then they gathered the people, they gathered the elders and they gathered the people, and they, they showed these signs, and the end result, as you know, was, was the goal of this whole passage, is that the people believed when they heard that the Lord visited the people, had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. That when you and I think about what Christ has done to redeem us, to bring us into fellowship with himself, it should lead us to bless him, to bow to him, to believe in him. And know that God calls you to partner with him, to participate in this calling, in this summons. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a chosen race. And you are a treasured possession of God. Set apart to announce, to declare the excellencies who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's God's calling upon your life as well. To so identify yourself, to be fearless because of Christ, to be faithful in your own life, and to be in fellowship so that you might be on the front line of answering the summons of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, in Christ's name, we give thanks to you for your grace and for your mercy. Father in heaven, we come and um, ask that you'd work in our hearts a fearlessness because of the gospel, a faithfulness because of Christ's own faithfulness, and fellowship because you call us into a body to use what you've given us to share it 
for the good of the body and for the growth of the body and for the good of others. Lord, help us to faithfully follow through. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.